Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Last week, we talked about the structure of a disciple-making church. We talked about what happened when the uh, church had to shift from the physical presence of Jesus to being empowered by the Holy Spirit and having team leadership. Um, Also stated the position of elder-led congregationalism and how that is compatible, how Peter talked about that uh, in his epistle. So tonight, I want to move one step further, and my lesson is entitled, What is an Elder? Um, We're going to unpack the meaning to that simple question. But before we do that, I want to guide us in an exercise. And so I'm going to describe something. I'm going to ask some questions. I'm not going to call on anybody to, to... participate or anything like that, so you're not going to be put on the spot. I don't even expect you to share, but I want you to hear uh, what I describe, and I want you to uh, mentally ask the questions so that you can process this. So here it is. Imagine you've hit a snag and you need a coach. Maybe temptation has taken you under for the third time. Uh, Maybe you feel broken and in need of mending. Maybe you've just committed the worst sin of your life again and you don't even know how to confess it, let alone how to overcome it. Who would you call? Who would you talk to? Or suppose you face a major decision, marriage, business, career, and you need guidance as you weigh out your options. Uh, Or perhaps you have a parenting challenge that's pushed you to the point of desperation or an important relationship isn't working. Maybe your business is going down the tubes or your marriage is in deep trouble. I know those are a lot of scenarios, but just imagine yourself in one or a few of those scenarios of life. And then ask this question, who do you call? Where do you turn for help? Who are you most likely to turn to when your back hits the wall, and what specific names come to mind? Let me give you one last uh, scenario. Perhaps the doctor has just told you you have a life-threatening illness, or maybe your faith is on the rocks, and you feel like you're in moral straits, and you need some wise spiritual counsel. Who would you call? Think about that for a minute. I'll give you a few seconds. If you needed some godly, biblical counsel, someone that you trusted, somebody that you respected, that knew the Word of God and you knew they'd point you to God and whatever they said, who comes to mind? Now, you don't have to answer that out loud, but I hope you have a picture in your head of two, three people, try try to think of more than one, two or three people that you could call. Whenever someone else who's done this exercise before does this, he says typically the answers are somewhere along these lines. They might say, oh yeah, I know, and you know, think of three people. I know these three people well. I already have some sort of relationship with them. Or I see these three people as experienced and competent enough to give wise counsel. 
or these three people are always available. They're approachable. I can find them. I'm comfortable being open with them. Or they're hospitable. They express love to me in several ways, and they create opportunities for us to have conversation and to talk. Or you might say, I've seen these three people from a distance make wise decisions in their own lives. You might say that these people know the Word of God and that they're respected by other people that you admire. Chances are you're functionally describing an elder. We'll talk about that. Lynn Anderson, in his book, They Smell Like Sheep, said it this way, an elder has the experience, character, and vision to guide, comfort, and advise the sheep of his flock. I'll give you a little bit of Baptist history real quick. I'm going to do that in little doses each time, hopefully. But last time, I think, when we introduced this this, uh, uh, idea of what does the Bible say about elders, I shared with you that uh, the first uh, president of Southern Baptist Convention believed in the plurality. How do you say that? Plurality. Thank you. Of elders. I'll get that out in a minute. Uh, Here's a little bit more Baptist history. Um, If you've never heard of the Sandy Creek Baptist Association, they're still around today. They're a local Southern Baptist Association in Sanford, North Carolina. At one point, they covered um, all the way up into Maryland and all the way down to Georgia back in the 1700s. One of the oldest uh, Southern Baptist Associations. And uh, this, what I'm fixing to share with you, this is actually a public record. You can actually look up the book online and read it on Google. But uh, it says, in, on October 24th, okay, on October 24th, the year was 1829, there uh, at the Sandy Creek Baptist Association in North Carolina, they passed a resolution, and here is what it says, quote, okay, quote, resolved that we, as a body, will discontinue and recommend to the churches and preachers discontinue the title of reverend prefixed to a minister's name and substitute as a more scriptural appellation the title of elder, end quote. That was an actual resolution that was passed in their local uh, Southern Baptist Association in the year 1829 that basically said, stop calling the preachers reverend, call them elder. Who knew, right? A little bit of blast from uh, Southern Baptist history there. Um, And actually, 1829 does predate the the beginning of the actual Southern Baptist Convention, but that's what they are today. Um, Now, we get into the terms elder. We mentioned this last week. Elder, overseer or bishop, and pastor slash shepherd. What I want to show you tonight is that these terms are all in the Bible, they're all in the New Testament, and they're used interchangeably to refer to the same group of people. And I'm going to prove that to you right now. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we're going to go to chapter 20. And this is where Paul has his last farewell meeting with the elders from Ephesus. Uh, They met there on a uh, beach, you might say, and he saw them for the last time. They cried together, they prayed together, and they, they sent them off. 
he boarded a ship and continued to go on his journey. But what I want to focus in on is two key verses without getting into the whole story of that passage. In Acts chapter 20, look in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he, and the he is Paul, Paul sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. And if you keep reading, he he wants them to come and meet him, and, and they do. And you can keep reading if you want to know what they talked about and what Paul said to them. But if you fast forward down to verse 28, uh, he summons the elders of the church from Ephesus. And then in verse 28, he tells them, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, here you see all three terms used in this passage in Acts chapter 20. In verse 17, he summons the elders from the church in Ephesus. As he's talking to them there in verse 28, he calls them overseers, and he tells them to shepherd the church of God. So elder, shepherd, overseer. There they are, all three terms, okay? All three terms referring to the same group of people. Let's look at another passage. This time we'll go to Peter, 1 Peter to be exact. In 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, you will find that Peter did the same thing. We just illustrated how Paul did. Now let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. And we'll just look at the first four verses. There in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, Peter is talking. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. And when I read that as a young man and even as a new Christian, I thought, well, Peter's getting older now. And he's talking to the older folks, okay? And that's how I thought he was using the term elder. A lot of times when people are reading uh, the New Testament and they see the term elder, they tend to think it's, you know, older folks. But if you'll keep reading, you'll see that in context, that's not what he's talking about at all. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown, the unfading crown of glory. So there you go. So here, look at the words that pop out again, the same words that we mentioned um, in Acts chapter 20. There in verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So there's the word elder. And the next verse, shepherd God's flock among you, their shepherd, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly overseeing. So again, you see elder, shepherd, overseer. So again, these terms are used interchangeably to refer to the same leadership group in the church. And that's what I want you to see. Paul did that. 
Peter did that. Now, with that said, let's go back to the original question. And I will answer the question, what is an elder? Based on the scriptures, and this isn't what I, what I think or what I've studied in some book, but just based on the scriptures and letting the scriptures speak for themselves in a very straightforward fashion, there are four things I believe an elder is. Number one, an elder is an example. Go back to this First Peter passage, and you will see there, in verse 2, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. There it is. First and foremost, an elder has to be an example to the flock. They have to be living out their faith in Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, um, if you go and look at the uh, qualifications of a overseer in 1 Timothy 3, let me jump there very quickly, but in 1 Timothy 3, um, again, a reminder of how they're an example. It says that uh, an overseer, 1 Peter 3, 2, an overseer must be above reproach, and it begins to flesh out character qualities of the kind of person they should be, okay? And we'll look at those in a, another week or two when we deal with the qualifications of, of an elder. But I just want you to see there that these qualifications are character-based. Uh, the bottom line is they must be an example to the flock. They must be someone that people respect, that they look up to, that they want to imitate their lifestyle because that person is following Christ. Uh, someone that is an example should be able to say what Paul the Apostle said when he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Okay, Remember when Paul told the Philippian church, whatever you've uh, heard from me or seen in me, uh, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, that is truly um, the essence of a role model. Somebody that's not just talking the talk, they are walking the walk. So first and foremost, an elder is an example. Number two, an elder is a teacher. Now, this one's important, and I'll tell you why. Uh, out of all the qualifications or qualities uh, that you have to have in an elder based on the New Testament, particularly in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, every one of them are character-based except for one thing. You must be able to teach. And I'll bring this out more when we, when we begin to look at what does the Bible say about deacons. Um, I know that some of our deacons teach Sunday school classes, some don't. That's a, that's a bonus if they can. But it doesn't hurt them if they don't, because biblically a deacon doesn't, has, doesn't have to teach. Uh, uh, according to what the Bible teaches about deacons, they're not required to teach. They're not expected to teach. That's not, that's not a requirement for them. L let me show you what I'm talking about. 1 Timothy 3. In 1 Timothy 3, I'll just read the first couple of verses. It says, this saying is true. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. Now, we've already established that overseer shepherd, pastor, and um, elder are all the same thing. 
So there in 1 Timothy 3, he says, to be an overseer, you desire a noble work. He says, an overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And I'll stop there. All of those uh, other qualities are character-based, but able to teach is a gift. It's an ability. It's, an, it's a competency that you must be able to demonstrate. Uh, let's jump to Titus chapter 1. In Titus chapter 1, uh, look in verse 6. And again, I will want you to focus on the terminology when it comes up. For instance, in Titus 1 verse 6, an elder must be blameless, the husband and one wife, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. Notice it says an elder. Very next verse, verse 7, as an overseer of God's household. Again, remember what I'm saying? Elder, overseer, pastor, shepherd, same thing, interchangeable terms. Now, once you understand that and you see how they're used interchangeably, hopefully that you know, doesn't confuse you at all. It makes things a whole lot clearer. So in verse 7, as an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful messages taught so that, there in verse 9, so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. So, in 1 Timothy 3, an elder overseer must be able to teach. In Titus chapter 1, it says that they have to be able to encourage with sound teaching and refute those who oppose it. In other words, they have to be able to teach the Word of God. That's part of what it means to be an elder. All right, so what is an elder? An example, a teacher. Number three, a shepherd, a shepherd. Notice in, in uh, Acts 20, he told the elders from Ephesus to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, okay? The church is Christ's church. It doesn't belong to the leader. It belongs to uh, the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And um, when it comes to a shepherd, I could break down a lot of stuff, but I, I'm, I'm a bottom line kind of guy. So, you know, we could go to Psalm 23, how David was a shepherd before he became a king. We could you know, look at the history of Israel and what all a shepherd does. I know that Mom and Travis got to go to Israel quite a few years ago. You could, you could talk about things that you've learned from over there that shepherds do, okay? We know that shepherds take care of sheep. We know that they feed the sheep. They protect the sheep. They do all kinds of things for the sheep. I figured the best way to know what a shepherd is, what a shepherd does, was to take my cue from the best shepherd ever, and that is Jesus Christ. Did you know that the New Testament tells us that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and the chief shepherd? I want to give you these verses. They're really, really good. Look in John 10, verse 11 for a moment. In that passage, John chapter 10, verse 11, here's what Jesus says. 
He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In other words, a good shepherd loves the flock. Because if you're going to lay down your life for them, you got to love them, right? And so a good shepherd loves the flock. Then turn to Hebrews 13. In Hebrews 13, we learn that Jesus Christ is the great shepherd. He's not just a good shepherd. He's a great shepherd. In Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21, here's what it says. Now may the God of peace, who brought up, who brought up from the dead of our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do His will, working in us what is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice it says there that Jesus Christ is the great shepherd of the sheep and that He equips us with everything good to do His will. You see, a good shepherd loves the flock. A great shepherd equips the flock. That means He gives them everything they need. And then there's one more, and that's the chief shepherd. And that's in 1 Peter 5, what we read just a few moments ago. In 1 Peter 5, the fourth verse, And when the chief shepherd appears, who is that? Jesus. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. Here's how I would put that together. An, An elder is a shepherd. They shepherd the flock of God. There's only one chief shepherd, His name is Jesus. But we are to strive to be a good shepherd that loves the flock and a great shepherd that equips the flock. Maybe that's why about the only translation, or about the only, I think this is right, you only find the word pastor, our English word pastor, in Ephesians chapter 4. And it's the same word that's translated shepherd. Not sure why they call it pastor in Ephesians 4 and nowhere else, you know. Um, But look in Ephesians 4 verse 11. In Ephesians 4 11, And he himself, referring to Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers... Equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So there we have the shepherd, the word in Greek poimen, which is shepherd, is translated pastor, right there in Ephesians 4. And what is his role? To to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So a shepherd should care for the flock and love the flock. That's what a good shepherd does. But a great shepherd should equip the flock as well. And so you've got loving and equipping. All right, let's look at the fourth thing. What is an elder? We talked about how an elder is an example. An elder is a teacher. They've got to be able to handle the Word of God. An elder is a shepherd. They love the flock and they're 
They're, they're willing to equip the flock. And then number four, an elder is a leader. An elder is a leader. Now, this will be seen in their lives before you see it in the church. And what do I mean by that? Well, Paul gave a principle in 1 Timothy chapter 3. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, as he's talking about the qualifications of an overseer, which is the same thing as an elder, in 1 Timothy 3, verse 4, it says, He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. And then it raises a rhetorical question in verse 5. It, he says, If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? So, an elder, overseer, pastor, shepherd, that kind of spiritual leader is going to be a leader in their home before they emerge as a leader in the church. Does that make sense? Matter of fact, it's kind of like Adrian Rogers said, if they can't get it done at home, don't export it. Okay? So they, they have to be able to manage their household well and lead their family. Otherwise, they're not qualified to lead the church. Look, if you will, in Acts chapter 20. Another function of leadership. When uh, Paul said farewell to the elders from Ephesus, there in verse 28, we looked at that verse, but let's look at it again from a leadership perspective. He said in verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Be on guard for yourselves. One of the things that you do as a leader is you will guard the flock, you'll protect them, and you will guide the flock. You'll provide and you'll lead them in a, in a good direction. You'll point them toward the Lord. You'll lead them forward in, in their pursuit of Christ. No wonder when it comes to how the church should look toward leaders. In Hebrews 13, verse 7, we have a really good principle. In Hebrews 13, verse 7, he says, Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. That's what leadership in the kingdom of God and in the church is all about, is leaders should be speaking God's word. They're focused on sharing God's Word, not their own agenda. And when you look at the outcome of their way of life, it inspires you to imitate their faith. That's what it's all about. And that's what an elder is. An elder is an example to the flock. They can teach the Word of God. They can shepherd the people of God. And they're a leader not only in their home, but in the congregation as well. And people respect them and want to imitate their faith. Those are the kinds of people you want to look for when it comes to elders. Now, let me go back to a favorite quote of mine by Adrian Rogers. Adrian Rogers says, Elder speaks of maturity that exceeds the flock because an elder is someone that's got character and life experience and people respect their, their walk with God and they 
have a maturity about them that exceeds the flock. That's why people respect them and look up to them. Shepherd speaks of ministry that feeds the flock. A shepherd is good at taking care of sheep. He knows how to care for them. He knows how to feed them. So shepherd speaks of the ministry that feeds the flock. And then, of course, bishop, which is one of those old King James words. It's the same word as overseer in the passages that I read. Bishop overseer speaks of management that leads the flock. And that's well said. So let me give you some practical handles tonight. I've got one more question with one, two, three answers this time. So here's the question. One more question I want to answer before we call this done. The question is this. What do you look for in an elder, pastor, leader? Again, I'm not trying to confuse you. I'm using those words interchangeably because the Scripture uses them interchangeably. So what do you look for in an elder, pastor, leader? What do you look for in an elder? What do you look for in a pastor? What do you look for in a spiritual leader in the church? Well, I believe based on everything that we've looked at already, I'll give you three handles to this. Number one, look for somebody that's an example of maturity to the flock. That's the elder function. Go to Titus 1. Look in verse 6, 7, and 8. In Titus 1, verse 6, an elder must be blameless. The husband of one wife with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled. Notice here, it's a little redundant, but it's, it's worth repeating. In verse 6, an elder. In verse 7, an overseer. Same thing. But he says, this, even though he uses interchangeable terms there, he says the same thing. Let me read, read the part that's the same. In verse 6, an elder must be blameless. Verse 7, an overseer of God's household he must be blameless. As someone said, we may not be sinless, but we need to be blameless. You remember um, Daniel in the Old Testament. You know, he was a, a follower of the Lord. Uh, he lived during the days when uh, Israel had been dispersed throughout the world. He was in a foreign uh, country, in a foreign land, and he was serving a foreign king, but he sought to obey the Lord. Remember, he would open up his window toward Jerusalem and he would pray three times a day. He was a very devoted uh, uh, follower of the Lord and he was promoted high within the kingdom. He had a very important government job, you might say. And there were other people that really wanted to take him out because they wanted to be where he was, right? And if you read Daniel's story, you'll know that, you know, you know, Jobs like that can be very, well, I guess I'll keep my opinions to myself, but corruption's a real thing when power's involved, right? And so they sought to see how they could push him out of the way. And it says that, uh, the Bible says in the Old Testament that uh, they couldn't find anything wrong with Daniel. 
they finally concluded if they was going to get the guy in trouble, it'd have to do something with the law of his God. And so that's the kind of blameless that I'm talking about. When people are looking at your life, and granted no one's perfect, but there's nothing on record uh, that would soil your testimony, that would um, spoil your, your witness, that would disqualify you from leadership. And so it says blameless. Look, if you will, in First Timothy. A very similar concept, it's stated a little differently. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, it says, An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach. Okay? So we've got blameless on one hand and above reproach on the other. Doesn't mean they're, they're, they're perfect. Doesn't mean they're sinless. It just means they're blameless. There's, there's no... Um, there's nothing that can be brought against them as a charge that would stick, if you will. So when you look for someone who's an example of maturity to the flock, that is the elder function. All right, let's look at the second answer to this question. What do you look for in an elder, pastor, spiritual leader? Number two, someone that is an, is a, an equipping minister that feeds and cares for the flock. Now, to illustrate that, let's go to John chapter 21. In the Gospel of John chapter 21, you probably know the story. It's after Jesus rose from the dead, he appears to Peter and he restores Peter. You know, the guy who declared that he would be faithful to Jesus even unto death. And then when it got you know, too much uh, heat for him when it got too hard. He denied the Lord not once, not twice, but three times. And then that rooster crowed, and then he remembered it. And then there's been a war between preachers and chicken ever since. Oh, never mind. That's, that's just application. Thought I'd throw that in there for free, Herman, okay? <laughs> but go, go to John 21 for a moment. In John 21, verse 15, it says, when they had eaten breakfast, that's Jesus and the disciples. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus said. Next verse, a second time. He asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. Verse 17. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. When you... Find a believer who has a shepherd's heart. They not only love God, but they love people. And you will see that they're doing what their master has told them. They will feed the lambs, verse 15. They will shepherd the sheep, verse 16. And they will feed the sheep, verse 17. That's someone that has a shepherd's heart. They just want to feed the lambs, feed the sheep, and take care of the sheep. That's their ministry. That's the ministry of an elder. That's the ministry of a pastor right there.
Now, let's go back to the question and look at the third answer. What do you look for in an elder, pastor, or spiritual leader? They're an example of maturity to the flock. That's the elder uh, uh, aspect. They're an equipping minister that feeds and cares for the flock. That's the shepherding pastor aspect. And then the third answer is they have an earnest desire to lead the flock. And that's the overseer bishop aspect. Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And by the way, this is really cool. I want to mention this as a side note. If you study 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, which is called the pastoral letters because they're written from Paul to young ministers, namely Timothy and Titus, one thing that they have in common is that among those three letters that are short, there are five sayings, okay? Five sayings that Paul lists. He'll say, here is a trustworthy saying. And then he gives you that saying. Well, one of the five trustworthy sayings is right here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. And look at what it says. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. Ultimately, and we'll get to this later on in the series, but I'll give you a a quick preview now. Ultimately, how does one become an elder, overseer, pastor, leader in the church? Ultimately, it's a God thing. When God calls someone, He puts the desire in their heart to do what He wants them to do. Um, In Acts 20, Paul told the elders from Ephesus that it was the Holy Spirit that had appointed them as overseers, okay? And here it says, if anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. In other words, that's, a, that's a, probably a God thing that God's put it in their heart to be a preacher. You don't just normally hear somebody say, I want to be a pastor when I grow up. Uh, it can happen. And I would say that when it does, usually it's got to be a, a God thing for, for, for someone to be, you know, in that, in that place, in that mindset. Um, we definitely need to pray that God would call more people to do His work and call more men to be leaders today. I do believe that we need that. And so here, I, I can remember when I was called, And uh, when I got to college at Union, I can remember all of us freshman preacher boys comparing notes. And we had to go to our first big meeting. And the leaders at Union University said, if your mama called, daddy called, there's the door. If If you're in ministry to make money, there's the door. If you are da 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 I mean, he threw out all the stuff. And then he finally said, you only need to do this if God has called you to do it. Matter of fact, one of them said, if you can do something else, then by all means, go and do it. And if God wants you to do it, you'll know. Well, all I know is that when uh, I got saved as a senior in high school, 
the youth pastor I had at the time was really emphasizing knowing the will of God, doing the will of God. And man, I was a new believer. I was hungering for the word, thirsting for righteousness. And I was just uh, reading and praying and praying and reading. And uh, I remember when it began to enter my mind and I thought, where did that come from? My grandfather was a preacher, but I don't want to do that. And then the next day, I go, well, that would be kind of cool, you know, be sharing God's word with people and being there during the, you know, the highs and lows of their lives and this, that, and the other. And then it'd be like, where did that come from? I don't want to do that, you know? And this internal, um, this internal dialogue went on for probably a couple of months. And then I finally worked up enough courage one day to talk to my pastor. And uh, he was helpful. But at the same time, he says, now, Corey, I can't tell you one way or the other. He said, uh, you know, you're praying about it. And if you'll, if you'll sincerely pray about it, God will let you know if that's what he wants you to do. Um, and I said, okay. And so he shared his story. He shared his experience. And uh, I walked away from that. And I was encouraged and disappointed all at the same time. I think I wanted somebody just to say, oh yeah, this is what's going on with you, and this is exactly why you're going through what you're going through, but he didn't do that, and I'm, I'm glad that he didn't, honestly. Uh, I think he saw that I was in the middle of the stream trying to process all this, uh, and he encouraged me. I know that he was praying for me, and uh, that was probably in March. And then, all of a sudden, June came, and I'll never forget this. I had just graduated high school, um, it was the um, first, actually, I think it was May. Uh, no, it was June. I remember now. It was June 2nd. It was June 2nd. It was the first Sunday in 1991. And uh, that particular Sunday, our pastor was on vacation. And uh, the fill-in preacher was a young preacher boy from Union University. I, I didn't know him. Being in high school, I hadn't got there yet, so I didn't know him. Well, anyway... He came and he preached that morning and then he came back and he preached that night. And by the time I got home that night, you're talking about eight up inside. I was eight up with just conviction, I guess. But I went back to my room and I said, all right, God, I'm not going to bed. I'm not going to sleep until I settle this thing tonight once and for all. Because, I mean, the whole time just sitting there watching a young man a little bit older than me do what God had called him to do, just, just the fact that he was doing it and I wasn't, it just ate me up. So anyway, all of a sudden it was 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the morning. I finally said, all right, God, if you want me to preach, you're going to have to show me because I, I'm tired of going round and round, round and round. I'm just tired. I need to know. And I'm praying and I'm reading. And, and I look down and I was praying through the scriptures. And as I look down, I look. And right there, I mean, you know how sometimes you, you look down to read something and it just like jumps out at you? I look down and there on the page was 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16. When Paul said, for if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I'm compelled to preach 
And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And I said, all right, God, I'll do it. I'll do it. And I settled it June 3rd, 3.30 a.m. And then I waited till my mom woke up at 5 o'clock, and I'm not a morning person. And she wakes up, and I'm almost standing over. Hey, Mom, you got some time? We got to talk. I'm ready when you are. What is wrong with you? Let me get two cups of coffee. (laughs) But that's another story for another time, isn't it, Mom? But um, God made it clear. God made it plain. I shared it with my pastor the very next week. And he said, well, that's awesome. Why don't you come down and share that with the church next Sunday? And so that following Sunday ended up being Father's Day. And so I made my call to ministry public on Father's Day in June of 1991, and it's always been special to me. You see, ever since then, I've tried to seek God wherever I go, whatever I do, okay? And uh, I know that when I came here in view of a call, I had a little conversation with God. And it was based on my understanding of Acts 20, 28, where I just read that verse two or three times now, where Paul is talking to the elders from Ephesus, and he says, the Holy Spirit has appointed you as an overseer. And so I remember being in the hotel at uh, Holiday Inn Express. Sounds like a good commercial, don't it? (laughs) I remember us staying there before I came here and preached in view of a call that Sunday morning. Nervous. My mind was going, you know, just your mind's just going crazy, Gordon, you know. And finally, I'm like, okay, you know, do I do I come if the vote is this percent? What about that percent? What about this percent? What about that percent? Right? And finally I'm like, you know what? I've got it all wrong. The answer is right here. And so I said, Lord, I'm gonna ask you for something. If you're calling me here, when I enter that pulpit Sunday morning, I want you to bear witness in my spirit that you've appointed me as an overseer at this church. You're the chief shepherd. I'm just here following your orders, doing your will. And honestly, I I felt that here before I heard that from y'all. That's what you need to do. That's what you have to do. When you're a a leader uh, that seeks God, that follows God, you want to be an example of maturity to the flock. You want to be an equipping minister that feeds and cares for the flock. And then you have that earnest desire to lead the flock. And I want to tell you something. That's a very real thing. And it's a shame that so many times it's twisted and distorted. I know Thom Rainer did a, a survey a few years ago of uh, some of the top reasons why pastors have been uh, fired from their churches. And outside of moral failure, two of the top five, number one, one, one of those two of the top five was being too dominant of a leader. And then the other one was not being a leader with a, a backbone, if you will. And so, you know it, I know it, we've all seen it. We've seen good and bad examples of 
leadership in the church in the past. We've seen those that are overbearing to the point to they lord it over the flock. It's their way or the highway. We've also seen seen it where you know they're they're not afraid. You know they're 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 afraid to lead because they don't want to offend this one. And they don't want to offend that one, and so on and so on. So they tiptoe around all the time. Uh, there's a balance somewhere where you're you're called to be bold and courageous. You, you, you love people and they know it. You love the Lord and you declare His Word without apology. And you just keep moving forward in Jesus and you bring people along with you. And that's what I'm talking about. So I want to close uh, this lesson with this, with a challenge. Um, We've heard that. We've, I've heard this for a while now in our association, even in our state convention here in Kentucky, um, this idea of calling out the called. Um, there's just not a lot of young people today um, compared to years past that are answering the call to serve the Lord in vocational ministry with their lives. And uh, my challenge to you is that we will pray you know, Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest, right? The harvest is out there. The workers are few. Pray for the Lord of the harvest. Pray for God to call more people to serve as leaders in the church. And pray for God to raise up more pastor, elder, leaders in the church because they're needed today. So I challenge you to pray that the Lord of the harvest would call out and raise up more leaders to do His will and His work. Well, let's pray. Father, we come before You tonight. Thank You for this time in Your Word. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged and that we would be challenged. Lord, help us to strive to follow You and to live our lives so that other people can see our lives in Christ and they will be inspired to imitate our faith. And Lord, I pray even now that you would send out your call, open up people's eyes to see, open up their ears to hear, open up their hearts to respond and answer the call to serve you and raise up godly leaders in your church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.